The dangers of digital identities. Welcome to this special live episode of me, Dan Eston Gregory, where tonight we explore the dangers of digital IDs. Now, the ability to have control over your own identity should be a fundamental right of every single human being. And there's no reason why we shouldn't extend these rights into the digital realm. When we're forced to hold an ID, physical or otherwise, we become a vassal of the state. When we are forced to account to the state, then we are no longer free. We are enslaved. Yet around the world, governments are developing digital ID schemes for citizens to prove their identities online. Like many of the latest developments in the digital world, many of these new initiatives seem innocuous at first. The ability to prove our identities to access public services are surely something we would welcome. But what could it lead to is the question we ask ourselves tonight as we witness this global rollout of digital IDs at scale. Uh, and the UK is no different. The UK right now is preparing legislation to help people to improve their ID online so people can be verified when we access public services and share data across departments and between public agencies. A move that is said will make it easier for people to use public services online but without needing to create digital ID cards. See how they did that. Now, again, let's be frank here and let's be balanced in the conversation. For anyone in the UK that's attempted to access government services, whether it's your self-assessment or any form of benefits or any other form of other government service, you'll probably find a complex web of different systems that don't talk to each other. You, you get logged in, you log out, and it's incredibly difficult to actually utilize the services. So it's very clear that the British government, and I'm sure it's similar in other parts of the world, they do need to actually improve their systems and make it easier to use. However, it's not the access to the government systems that we're concerned about here in today's episode. I am all in favor for making it easier to navigate the government's digital services. However, tonight we're going to look at some of the possible implications of going beyond simply authentication to a government website and what it could mean once we have digital forms of identification. Now, there is currently a public consultation taking place that will close this Wednesday in the UK. It's been open for several weeks now. And curiously, <laughs> even though the current consultation is still in progress, the post of head of security and the gloriously named head of fraud have already been advertised. <laughs> we know with many other government consultations, it's simply uh, a process of due diligence in a way, and behind all of the above, processes and protocols are already in process. And it seems that uh, <clears throat> this is no different. However, that doesn't mean we should uh, fail to respond to the survey. It's really important that we do make our voices heard. Now, the government has said, this is the UK government, that it will draw upon the responses to the consultation to establish legislation and different measures that includes three key areas. Firstly, creating a governance framework to oversee the accreditation and certification of digital identification service providers. In simple language, providing a framework for the government to outsource the process to third party companies. Um, again, this is a normal procedure. You would expect the government to use outsourced providers. There is an emerging world of digital authentication companies. 
in uh, you know in, in the world of the digital age, it's it's inevitable that these types of companies exist. Um, but it's really looking at the governance framework. Here, there is not really a major issue at this point. Point two, creating a permissive legal gateway to allow trusted private sector organizations to check data held by public bodies for identity verification. Again, on the surface, allowing uh, your digital identity to be used by different companies, whether it's applying for passports or proving that you hold a passport. Some of these things at this stage don't seem too innocuous. Um, however, what happens when that private data held by the government is used for other purposes? What if the uh, gateway goes both ways and the government is able to track your data used by third party companies? Could that pave the way for social credit style systems? So it's it's not the authentication itself or the ability to pass data between one entity and the next that's the issue. It's how that data will be stored how it will be controlled, how it will be managed, and how it will be accessed, and ultimately how it will be implemented uh, in, a, in conjunction with potential other government legislation. Now, the third point in the consultation is about establishing that digital identities and attributes have the same validity as a physical proof of ID, uh, such as a passport. And this is where it gets a little bit more alarming because it's the illegal, it's the legal binding nature of these um, digital IDs. And once they're in place, uh, what rights one has as a citizen and how the government may use these in the future that are the most concerning issues. Now, the Minister for the State of Media, uh, Digital and uh, uh, Digital, uh, sorry, Data and Digital Infrastructure, Julia Lopez in the UK and Parliamentary Secretary Heather Wheeler, explain why the government is creating this digital identity framework. She stated that it's essential, this is her words, not mine, this is a quote, it is essential that people from all walks of life have secure means and the confidence to prove things about themselves in the digital environment and for others to be able to trust that proof as easily when transacting online as they do when dealing with people in the physical realm. And again, it's always that reasonable intent that gets put forward. We have no dispute that if you are asked for ID in a shop, you're happy to provide it in order to make a purchase. Um, you would expect the same sort of protocol to happen online. But it's it, it's when things go beyond that initial use case that things become more complicated. But even when we look at the secondary level, um, the plan legislation is also intended to unlock a new government identity verification system known as gov.uk one login. I don't know how many hours they must have spent coming up with that creative title, but it's designed to fix the patchwork of different government identification regimes currently in operation, spanning tax, passports, healthcare and education, amongst others. We know that the government systems aren't talking to each other. It's very difficult to get information from one place to the next. And again, as I've mentioned, any of you, particularly those who are self-employed, who've logged into various different systems, will find it incredibly frustrating. So have one access point to access all of your government services does make sense. However, <laughs> when you look at the history of the government's ability to roll out new digital transformation products, including the 10 billion failed uh, healthcare data realignment, uh, it's you know that they have a woeful track record of actually executing on this. So before we even get into the more dystopian realities, even when it comes to the more practical applications that could actually offer some benefit, we should remain skeptical and doubtful about the government's ability to actually deliver this. Now, 
The other big concern is around data sharing. Public entities will be able to participate in data sharing, and that uh, that's enables different departments to share information about you, whether it's the De Department of Work and Pensions, HMRC, uh, maybe local regional councils. At this stage, the um, British legislation does not allow um, health information to be trans uh, uh, to trans to be transmitted across departments but undoubtedly that would be something that's looked at again in the future now also under the um, current proposal public authorities will be limited to process the minimum that they say the minimum number of data points necessary to verify one's identity your name your date of birth your home address passport, driver's license, uh, and photographic identification. Again, on the surface, this seems relatively reasonable. However, again, once we start looking at other data points that can be collected beyond the initial authentication, this is where things become uh, more, uh, where the things can go awry when we start to see how your behavioral data, whether you recycle, whether you uh, cross, you know, cross the road when there's a red light. And these data points that we've seen in the Chinese style uh, trials of social credit style systems where digital surveillance systems merge with digital IDs. Now, of course, we're not suggesting that this is what the government is proposing right now. Quite rightly, many would describe that as conspiracy theory. But we have to look at some of the other uh, ways in which other governments are using these things and have proposed to use them and the overall trajectory that we are on. Um, the, the rise of digital surveillance throughout the pandemic, the prospect of digital uh, central bank digital currencies, the erosion of privacy online, the increasing authoritarian nature of the state. You know, we have to be able to put these things together and recognize where these things could be heading and it would be amiss of us, be remiss of us to, to not do that, you know, because actually once these things start to come into play, then it becomes very difficult to uh, extract ourselves from the complex web of these different types of surveillance mechanisms that could unfold. Now, despite a previous government consultation, the government seems to be moving ahead at speed. Now, a previous government consultation was very clear that many of the individuals who responded in the consultation said they were against digital identities in principle. Yet here we are again with another consultation designed to nudge digital IDs just a little closer to reality. And the Tony Blair report that came out last week is again driving this forward and watch out for my next episode on this where I dissect that in detail. Um, the previous report by the government also stated that the government has no plans to make digital IDs compulsory, just like they said they would never mandate vaccines, right? Can we really take the government's word on anything? Now, despite the government stating that this will not be mandatory or compulsory, the consultation or the latest consultation gives no consideration to those who might actually wish to opt out. So perhaps by failing to embrace your digital ID, you're excluding yourself from accessing public services, just as those healthcare workers who made themselves unemployed by exercising their right to decline an injection. So we have to be very wary of the nature of our relationship with the state under these times, and in particular, where there is new technologies like this on the horizon. Now, 
Digital IDs, along with programmable central bank digital currencies, are among the cornerstones of the fourth industrial revolution, which has completely enthralled governments across the Western world. Australia is pressing ahead with its own form of digital identity. In Canada, uh, Trudeau has helpfully made it clear that federal funding for local health care services will only be made available to those provinces which fully embrace and implement digital identity systems. Uh, yeah, who remembers voting for any of this? And we have to be wary again of those types of rollouts, as we see in Canada, where it's it becomes a negotiating tool where government funding can be shut off at the um, at the regional level, at the provincial level. But imagine when things like that start to happen at the individual level. You know, these are very real possibilities that we need to be wary of and make sure that governments are held to account during the implementation of these things. Like I said, we've got to look at this as a balanced, uh, a balanced point of view, looking at how we can improve our ability to access government services or public services in the digital world versus this more dystopian possibility. Now, despite the fact that all of these nations around the world are similarly rolling out these processes almost in sync, somehow all of this is still reduced to conspiracy, despite the fact that you'll see our very own government has published an entire web page dedicated, in fact, it's page after page, at setting out the framework for the fourth industrial revolution, all the regulatory elements and the implementation of the various different components such as digital IDs, the different forms of surveillance, um, digital currencies, and all the various other things that come with it. And you guessed it, similar information also appears on the websites of other governments, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, USA, France, Germany, Netherlands, etc. And it doesn't stop there. It's also the supranational uh, institutions like the United Nations, the European Commission, and they often use the exact same wording. So if you use the original Latin definition of conspiracy, which is to agree, unite, or plot, then we could easily argue that this is definitely a conspiracy, but modern-day connotations of the word mean that it's disadvantages. It's disadvantageous of us to even speculate that it could be one. But once again, we see the result of an increasingly centralized world where a globalized agenda takes hold, it accelerates, and irrespective of the wishes of the citizens at a local, national, or regional level, they steamroller ahead irrespective of those um, uh, protests. Now, under these circumstances, does anyone seriously believe that our government will not implement these latest proposals, even in the face of stiff public opposition through the consultation? Well, proof will be in the pudding. Let's just watch how this unfolds. Um, now, <clears throat> you could argue that the consultation is therefore a complete waste of everyone's time on all fronts, but it doesn't mean that we should avoid taking part. No, in fact, it's vital that opposition is raised at every single junction to ensure that it is the pragmatic application of these things that is put forward and not the dystopian application of these things. I know many like myself are deeply skeptical of governments around the world right now and see the depth and speed of this kind of rollout of this new authoritarian, highly surveillance uh, driven uh, agenda. Uh, but many are still um, skeptical of that idea. But nonetheless, we have to take heed of what is happening in other parts of the world, the current uh, environment that we live in, 
and we have to take action. So at this stage, it's important that you submit your own thoughts to the consultation. There's some amazing guidance at the saveourrights.uk website. There's also amazing guidance at the togetherdeclaration.org website, and there's some amazing guidance at the bigbrotherwatch.org.uk website. These are three tools that I've, uh, resources that I've put into the comments, I put into the description of this video, and each of them have taken a really comprehensive approach to the consultation, but each has taken a very different tact. So it means that you can have a look at each of the different approaches and see which one resonates most with you. Now, in this day and age, give people three options that often take none, but this to me is a test of our sovereignty. Every single step of this means that we must rise up and take greater personal responsibility because we wouldn't be in such a mess right now if we had more and more citizens taking personal responsibility. So if it's too much effort to take your time to look at three different websites or even just pick one of them to complete the consultation, then unfortunately we have no right to complain if we are not willing to take action. So it's my encouragement to you today, take action tonight, take action tomorrow, take action on this particular campaign. Make your voice heard because otherwise this will continue to unfold without any resistance and that will only accelerate the matter. Now, there's plenty more that can be done as yet, but we have to be starting to have the conversation and we have to be making sure that these consultations are filled out. So check out those three websites, complete the consultation. Please don't just copy and paste what's on those websites because the government is getting wise to this and they're just stripping out the responses. So make sure you include your own comments as well as some of the stuff from the guidance that you read. It's really important that we do that. It's really important that we individualize the responses and state your case to why digital IDs in these forms should not be permitted in the United Kingdom or anywhere else in the world. Thank you so much for tuning in. I really appreciate you. Now, please do share this episode. I spoke to so many people today who didn't even know this consultation is even taking place. So what hope have we got if people don't even know it's existing right now? So whatever your views now on the situation, I appreciate I've taken quite a, um, a view looking at the potential dangers. I've tried to highlight some of the potential benefits. Although interestingly, when I started to do my research for this episode, um, when you actually type in the benefits of digital ID, there's very, even on Google, there's very little that actually comes up. It seems that very few people can articulate uh, succinctly any core benefits that really um, really go beyond accessing public services and, and verifying your identif uh, identification for, for key public activities, which I think most people you know, would recognize is a, is a valid function. Um, but it's, it's, it's what comes with that that is problematic and this grand amassment of our data in a centralized source. So uh, tomorrow I'll be back talking about the Blair Report and his partnership with uh, William Hague, of all people. And then on Wednesday, the final day of the consultation, as a reminder, I'll be bringing you a conversation about what a more productive and more uh, decentralized approach to digital identity could look like. Because the reality is in situations like this, unless we come up with better solutions, we are going to be lumbered with these more dystopian realities. So the opportunity is, is not only to resist but to reimagine how these things are done and actually get to the root cause of the problem and start to look at things differently. And you'll see the real difference between the centralized digital identity where our, uh, our data is held in, in one single vault by the government, which comes with enormous risks, versus a more decentralized 
approach where we have full control over our own data and who has access to that data. So watch this space. I'll be back tomorrow and Wednesday. Please do complete the forms. Now, finally, uh, coming up this week, there's a lot going on. <laughs> I'm already tired. You can tell my voice. <clears throat> this, this Wednesday evening, we've got a live podcast episode. If you didn't see it last week, we did our first pilot episode with my co-host, Sam X, where we're exploring how we can navigate the financial reset. And you could argue that the digital IDs and the central bank digital currencies are all components of the financial reset. On Wednesday evening at 8 p.m., we offer you the opportunity to join us live. We're going to do a live um, uh, podcast recording, and then we're going to have at least an hour Q&A afterwards and discussion around some of these key concepts. So if you'd like to be involved, it's completely free. Join us at weareelevate.org forward slash financial reset. Uh, you can RSVP for Wednesday's live podcast. It's a brand new podcast, so these types of uh, live experiences are normally reserved to our paid supporters, but we want to give you the opportunity uh, to, to be part of the, the launch of the new show live with us on Wednesday evening. And also coming up, following the success of our first uh, Camp Out Festival in 2022, uh, we are back in August at a beautiful new site in Oxford. I'm heading up there again this week to start to scope out the venue and look at where we're going to locate the stages and the activities. Um, but the tickets, the first early bird tickets, the most uh, the best price tickets are going to go live on Wednesday as well. So if you'd like to be on the wait list, the priority list for those early fire starter tickets, as we're calling them, uh, for the best possible prices, then go to campout.live, uh, put your name on the wait list, and you'll be the first, or one of the first to learn about those tickets on Wednesday. Right, oh, it's been a long day. As you can tell, this is a live episode. It's late, and uh, I've been at it all day since about 5 a.m. this morning, so uh, I need to go rest. Thank you very much for tuning in, and please share this episode. Let's continue the conversation about digital IDs. I'll be back again tomorrow. Thanks again. Let me know your thoughts in the comments. Let's hear your views on the situation. Let me know if you've completed the consultation. It's really important that we take action.